Hi, I'm Ashley Cooley, a birth baby and sleep specialist and mom of three. There's so much information out there, right? This show is dedicated to helping you clear out the noise so you can figure out what will work best for your baby and your family. If you're looking to learn more about your baby, gain more confidence in your parenting, and get as much sleep as you can through it all, you've come to the right place. Bringing up baby is about to get a little easier. everybody, Ashley here. Today we're doing something a little different and I'm going to be sharing with you my firstborn daughter Stella's birth story. I've been asked a few times to share my daughter's birth stories a few times now and I thought why not? Why not because what I do share in prenatal classes are a few of a few of the stories that I have. So I have three daughters. Um, my oldest is nine and a half. She'll be ten in February. Wild. My middle child is seven and a half, and my youngest is four. And I do share parts of their birth stories in my prenatal classes for good reason, for educational purposes. So I figured I would lay out the groundwork for the full story for each of them. And we'll just be doing Stella today because they're enough of a story on their own that I can't put them, I'm not going to put them all in one, one episode. Um, but I'm going to share them because I, I, I do think it's interesting looking back now when I had my first two daughters. Um, I was not a childbirth educator. I was not a sleep consultant. I was not doing what I was doing today. And so I had very little, (laughs) if any, enough information. I had very little information about having a baby, uh, about caring for a baby. Anyway, that could be its own episode, how this all came to be. But when I look back on the experiences that I had and the the questions and the way I was feeling and wh- how my partner was able to or not able to help and support me during labor. When I look back on that now, knowing what I know now, I think it's kind of shocking. Um, I think it's kind of the experience that I had having my third daughter when I was a certified childbirth educator when I had been teaching prenatal classes for a few years already and I have been living in that world and had the experience of having birthed two other babies. That was a completely different experience and can't wait to share that one with you too. But let's start with Stella. It was a cold day in February. (laughs) Well, actually, yes, it was. Um, and I started, my labor started at about 4.30 in the morning. Yes, I remember it like it was yesterday. It started at 4.30 in the morning, woke me up. I was just a couple days past my due date. And by the time my husband woke up for the morning, you know, I've been having, I've been contracting a little bit here and there. I'm assuming that I'm in labor and it's the beginning because what else would wake me up like that, you know? But, um... So I told him, I think I'm in labor. He got really excited. And then I said, but you still need to go to work (laughs) because I didn't want him sitting at home, kind of staring at me, looking at me, thinking, how are you doing? What's going on? I just wanted to kind of do my own thing, uh, maybe not think about it too much and just see what happens because I also didn't want to give my hopes up, even though I was a couple days past my due date, feeling some cramping every once in a while. I'm like, "Ah, who knows? So he goes to work. I decide to clean the house because what else are you going to do in early labor? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, I clearly had that nesting instinct and 
was frantically cleaning the house because I'm thinking, all right, the baby's going to come. We're going to get some visitors. I'm going to get this all done. And I kind of just tired myself out. That So that was, I look back on that now thinking I should have just been putting my feet up. Anyway, nothing wrong with doing a little bit of light housework, walking around, helping my labor progress. So by the time 10 o'clock, 10.30 rolled around, I called my doctor because I thought, okay, well, I'm still contracting. Maybe she can... Um, do an internal exam and check and see what's going on because she had offered that to me. So usually when you're in labor, um, you don't necessarily go to your doctor. You would go to the hospital at a certain point and all that sort of stuff. Um, Not to say that you couldn't call them, but my doctor had mentioned to me, if you are in labor or you think you're in labor, you know, while I'm at the office and while I'm working, you're welcome to come here and we can squeeze you in and see what's going on rather than going to the IWK, which is where we would go here in uh, Halifax. So I drove myself to her office. Uh, It was a little bit of a drive. I can remember still contracting six times during that drive. But like I tell everybody in my prenatal classes, for most people when labor's first starting out, it's kind of boring and you're feeling contractions usually, but it's not they're not stopping you in your tracks. So I always make sure that I mention to people that even though I was driving, I wasn't putting anyone in danger. I wasn't putting myself in danger. I was having some mild period-like cramping that I've dealt with many times before. So I was fine. So I get to my doctor's office and she does an internal exam, which I always tell people now are choices. You do not have to do that, but you know, probably a lot of you are like me and just really curious is are we actually in labor is the cervix changing what's going on so it turns out that I was um, and she told me to go back home and to come back to see her when I could no longer talk through my contractions and I was like oh sure fine no problem and went home and called everybody called my parents let them know what was going on uh, called my husband. He came home from work. I had light lunch because I was hungry. And that's what I always tell people too: is definitely eat while you're at home and while you feel like it because uh, it'll keep your energy levels up. Anyway, long story short here, uh, my husband is home. I am now pacing the living room and he's thinking like, okay, I think it's time to go to the hospital now. Meanwhile, I'm looking at him trying to talk through the contractions through my teeth. Like I can still talk through it though. (laughs) Clearly it was more of a struggle. So we did, we went to the hospital. I was about five, four or five-ish centimeters. Can't remember that exact detail right now, but the point being is uh, we did stay in early labor assessment unit for a little bit. We were brought upstairs to the labor and delivery floor. And because I had not enough, really any knowledge of what to do during labor, I assumed, you know, okay, when you get to the hospital, you see those Johnny shirts on the bed. You guess you put those on. I guess I get in the bed. Someone's going to tell me what to do, right? They do this all the time. And they do. They do do it all the time. But they're not going to tell me to get up and do a double hip squeeze or walk around the room or do this or that. Sometimes they might have suggestions. But honestly, what I always teach in classes is that the what you do during your labor and delivery is kind of up to you and, and taking that on. So I didn't know any of that. I laid in the bed with that Johnny shirt on and soon enough started getting even stronger contractions. So these contractions now, by the time I'm in labor and delivery, they are strong enough that they really are stopping me in my tracks and I'm starting to feel kind of 
tortured by them. Because again, I didn't know what I could do to help myself not only progress the labor, but also just to stay comfortable. I had no idea. So I was just lying down, letting labor, letting those contractions kind of hit me like a wave. So I had heard about epidurals, of course. Um, I had thought about getting an epidural before this, of course. My, my kind of game plan going into labor was just see how it goes. We'll go with the flow. We'll wing it and do what we need to do when the time comes. And so because I didn't have any of that other knowledge or movement or breathing or all of that stuff that could help, I, again, was feeling pretty tortured by those contractions. And so I was kind of back and forth with my husband. I was talking to the nurse. We called a friend who is also a nurse to say, like, okay, give me the pros and cons here of epidurals. I I think I want one, but I'm nervous about it and all that stuff. Long story short there, got an epidural at eight centimeters dilated which was 8 p.m. on that that evening. So I had been in labor for a while at this point, and the epidural gave some sweet relief, and I was able to get some rest. By the time I got to 10 centimeters, it was 10 p.m. So for anyone who's had an epidural, who's had a baby already, you know that they give you, they put it on a pump. So you're given this loading dose, when the epidural is first administered, and then the rest, if you want to give yourself any more of the medication, it's on a pump, so you press a button. So I remember asking, the first thing I asked was like, oh my gosh, don't give me control over this, like I'm gonna overdo it. They don't let that happen. They they have a way to prevent that from happening. But anyway, so I, by the time we got to 10 centimeters, and it's 10 p.m., and I had decided I was going to stop giving myself the epidural because I wanted to see if it could wear off a little and maybe get some of that feeling back for, for pushing. And so I stopped giving myself the epidural, but I also wasn't feeling the pressure or the need to push. Something else that uh, was interesting about my labors, were for all three of them, my the amniotic sac had, would never break on its own. I, for all three of my children, they had to artificially rupture the membranes. When I say they had to artificially rupture the membranes, you never usually really have to do that. That is a procedure that you usually do have a choice about. Um, I didn't, again, have enough information or knowledge about the risks of artificially rupturing the membranes earlier um, or what that could look like. I just figured like, hey, I figured they would break and then that's how the baby comes out. Anyway, so there did come a point when I was 10 centimeters, we were waiting for that pushing phase. The nurse went into went to get a resident or a doctor to come in and do the artificial rupture of the membranes with the amni hook, which is a painless procedure. I've had it done three times, so I can attest to that. And I, I remember him coming in and I remember him looking at me and think and and saying, why are, why are we doing this? He was questioning why he was in there to break the amniotic sac. And the nurse is saying, well, we want to get things moving again. So uh, because when the amniotic sac is broken and water, amniotic fluid is able to come out, the baby is usually able to get lower into the pelvis, put more pressure on the cervix, hence feeling the pressure getting the baby out. So it, there was like some back and forth between the two of them. And I'm just looking like, I, I, I guess I want it. Like that's what she, my nurse is asking for. I didn't know. Anyway, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. 
He did artificially rupture the membranes. Luckily, there were no issues. There's another interesting story about that <clears throat> with my middle child's birth, which I will share next time. But uh, I always I found that interesting from the get-go that there was kind of that discussion slash argument about it with the staff in front of me. And I'm kind of like, so do I want it? Do I not? What's going on here? So that a little interesting piece that luckily didn't morph into anything um, unnecessarily. By the time 12 o'clock rolls around, I'm almost finally asleep. And my nurse comes over and taps me on the shoulder and says, it's time to push. And let me tell you, that was that was tough. Being out of, it felt like I was out of the situation. Like, I'm not in labor right now. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> like this, I was taking myself out of the the labor mindset and then I was it was like I was just being woken up to start pushing (laughs) and that was like a weird oh gosh where am I going to get this energy from uh but I found it I found some obviously we started the pushing process Uh, I found it really frustrating to be pushing having had an epidural and not really feeling what was going on because I was getting a lot of uh positive reinforcement from the nurse and my partner when I was pushing, but I wasn't feeling it. So I was like, what the, what the hell? (laughs) Um, Anyway, all said and done, we were able to be in a few different positions, but ultimately, again, I didn't really know what to do there. And so I pushed for a long time. I pushed for two and a half hours and the epidural was still in effect for a lot of it. I was able to feel some pushes towards the end which made me happy actually because I was getting so so exhausted as you can imagine with very little sleep uh pretty much no sleep in a 24-hour period and uh and and having pushed for a couple of hours so when I was able to notice some feeling with those pushes towards the end I feel like that really gave me that boost of giving some more energy getting more power behind those pushes um and I did need an episiotomy which was unfortunate. And I was kind of before leading up to the labor, I think I was more worried about having an episiotomy than I was about anything else. Um, And having had that experience now, I mean, I was very, I have a lovely doctor who was very supportive with that. And so it, it, anyway, all that to say is it just wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be at all. And it was necessary for the baby. So we did it and we survived. But once we didn't know the sex we didn't know if she was going to be a boy or a girl so there was that moment of it's a girl and I was waiting for that moment I wanted that moment but I was so exhausted that I didn't even register and it took me a minute to be like wait what is is it a boy is it a girl like what <laughs> did somebody say uh, I was totally out of it but also just in disbelief I can remember being in, in the pushing phase and just I'm crying Um, feeling so incredibly frustrated and exhausted and feeling like there was no way on earth I was going to be able to do this. There was just absolutely no way. And then when she finally came out, I I immediately said, like, it was just like a instantaneous, oh my gosh, that was so worth it. You know, that it's, it takes so much out of you. But then once they're there, you get to have that moment. So we did. We got to have some beautiful time skin to skin. She was healthy. I remember them measuring her head and them saying, oh, she has a big head. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're telling me. (laughs) Yeah, she sure did. 
Um, and this was our first, and this was uh, several years ago. So we actually stayed at the hospital a little bit longer than, than you do now, um, but just a few days. And I can just remember it being such a, a whirlwind, such an what... I mean, that that's the stuff that I don't remember as well is <laughs> the, the immediate time that stay at the hospital and just being like, wow, we just we just did this. We just had a baby. Our, our road to baby, our first baby was a long one, not as long as many, but also longer than many. And it took us a few tries to finally get this human being and even when all the whole time while I was pregnant with her I just remember thinking like this isn't going to feel real until she's in my arms and then here she was in my arms and wow thinking back on it now it will still it will always bring tears to my eyes because that's just that's that's the miracle of birth right there um I desperately wanted my partner, I just really wanted my husband to come on this episode to share his experience. Um, he wasn't into the idea. Maybe I'll get him sometime. But I wanted to share a little bit about his side of the story. Because we didn't know how to progress, how to help labor progress or how he could help me stay comfortable, he had no idea. So he wanted to be supportive and he could see me struggling with contractions. Um, and would come over and have his hand on me and and just be there for me. But because he didn't know what to do and I didn't know what he could do to help me and I didn't know how to help myself, I couldn't handle another person. It's like I had to worry about him too. So I would just be like, don't touch me, like sit over there. I can't, like it's not helpful. If you don't know what to do to help me, then everything else is unhelpful. And so he felt really helpless during that time and even too during the birth of our second child which that story will come out soon too and that's a little bit more exciting um and and so when he got to learn for baby number three some ways to help me stay comfortable and actually get hands on with the support it was a game changer so I can't wait to share those experiences with you too for now I will leave you with the beautiful story of Stella's birth I hope it was of some interest. Maybe you learned a couple things. Maybe you have questions. So please feel free to reach out anytime. Ashley at birthbabysleep.ca. You can find me at birthbabysleep on Instagram and Facebook. And reach out anytime if you have questions about the show, about your baby, about your pregnancy, about your postpartum, about sleep. That's what we're here for. And uh, thanks for listening today. We'll see you back here next time. Looking for more? check out birthbabysleep.ca where you'll find prenatal classes, postpartum and new baby resources, and sleep support during the childhood years. You'll also find me on Facebook and Instagram at birthbabysleep. It would be awesome if you followed us wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you can, leave a review or a rating, which goes a long way for helping others to find us. That's all for now. I'm Ashley Cooley, and we'll see you back here next time.